What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello, and welcome back to a Friday morning edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. A it's snowing again in Knoxville as I'm recording this edition of the podcast. I don't know if it's snowing back in my hometown of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, for for Wes, is it is it snowing down there? No, just a just a very miserable little <laughs> drizzle of uh, of cold, cold rain. So, very fitting for our conversation with about the Falcons today. Oh, it uh, it is very fitting. The four and twelve Falcons, the best four and twelve team in NFL history, in my opinion. Um, they're on their way to a very interesting offseason. When you're looking at this roster, what season they've had, in your best guess. Do you think they are going to use the number four pick like they did when they drafted Matt Ryan to take another quarterback like a Justin Fields or Zach Wilson? You know, I uh, I really think that if the opportunity is there for them, okay, um, it's just going to be really hard if I were in that situation, you know, and, and who knows who they're going to hire. As, as the GM, they seem to be, leaning towards the head coach first, which is fine. Uh, you want the guy that's going to be making the cake, as uh, as Parcel says. You want the guy mm. that's, uh, that's coaching to have a little bit of access to the grocery list, right? So right. that's fine with me. I'm a little bit more concerned with the next host of Jeopardy than I am with the mm. name of the next Falcons GM. Just get the right coach in. But all that to say, whatever that GM decides to do, whoever it may be, Justin Fields is right there at four, like I've seen on on a few projections. Um, I, I don't know how you pass him up. That's what I would do anyway. Uh, look, man, the, the rumors of Deshaun Watson wanting to trade, I'm not so sure about that going down. Um, it, it just seems like seems like a long shot. And even if it were there, do we really think the Falcons would have the ability to, to land it and pull it off? I don't know. But I will tell you this. Justin Fields has already left the state of Georgia once. Mm. If he's there again, don't let him escape again, please. What's going to make Georgia fans more upset if they see Justin Fields win Monday night or Bama just winning again? I think if you are a level-headed Georgia fan, you are not going to be upset to see Justin Fields win again. And, I think America is in this strange situation where they're so tired of seeing Alabama win um, that they are probably pulling for Ohio State as well in this weird twist of fate where Ohio State's one of those blue bloods that a lot of America, unless you're an Ohio State fan, be honest with yourself, you probably root against Ohio State most weekends. Um, I think a lot of people are, are in that same boat as well. Now, of course, there's the Georgia fan out there that's, going to say uh, I'm not watching I don't care I, I I would rather both of them lose 
that's not an option. And if if you're competing against Alabama year in and year out, I mean, do you really want to see Alabama continue to add another trophy to the trophy case? I don't think so. I think level-headed Georgia fans are are not okay with Justin Fields winning because your team isn't winning, but uh, that that gripe you need to you need to move on. It's time to move on, and and it is. It's sad because, you know, you log on to social media and you just can't help but get trolled uh, as a Georgia fan about Justin Fields. But I'll, I'll give you the, the short version of this conversation that if you are logically thinking and logically look back. Well, that doesn't sound like sports fans. Season, it's not. It's not. And, and no one's going to no one's mind is going to change on this. It's easier and more fun to make a joke. And, mm-hmm. and everyone everyone does it about other teams. So. Georgia fans have to take their licks on this one, but it just, it was just bad timing. Yeah. And, and, and Justin Fields made the decision that he needed to make. Don't be bitter about it. Um, and just enjoy the game and, and see what happens. You got if, if Ohio Daniels. State can get enough people to play. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, Nick thing. Saban's daughter. I was talking to my friend Matt yesterday about this. Do you think Saban, because he runs such a tight ship, pulled her social media, like his grown married daughter did he like just pull her stuff did he ground her do you think man he could ground her she he could she could be like i don't know what what the family situation is there but she could have multiple children i mean mm-hmm. and 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 he's going to ground her i, I mean, think so is too. there any question yeah, I would dude, just love to horrible, have been in the room for that. I would horrible. like. I can't believe. Like, I would love to be in the room for that. That conversation. Like, what are you doing? Well, that's the wonderful thing, Chase, about Twitter is it requires no thought. Mm-hmm. It, Twitter is an is an impulse machine, right? And there was clearly no thought in that tweet, and um, and she's you know, Twitter Twitter lasts forever. You can delete a tweet, and especially a tweet like that one. Yeah, it's more permanent. It's more permanent than anything you you put out on the internet before. So, mm-hmm. no surprise there that she's going to be living with with a little bit of that uh, 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 lashback, as she should. I mean, that that was not the right thing to say when when these things exist forever, but. There's plenty of bulletin board material to go around for either team. Saw the Ohio State uh, defensive back um, Sean, Sean Wade. Yeah, what are, what are you doing, my man? Uh, I mean, the, the the bulletin board material it all ends up canceling out um, because so many of these things exist on Twitter. That's true. That's true. Do you have a score for Monday night? Gosh, it's got to be high, right? I mean, I think the over under is like seventy five. Yeah. Uh, I'll say I'll say that Alabama does win. I'll say they win like forty-two to thirty-eight. Okay, yeah, I think they cover a little bit more than that. Um, but well, we shall see. I just I'm concerned about Ohio State secondary and their past even like sixtieth um, in the country. Um, back to the Falcons. I I think they're gonna do it. I think this is bad enough where Matt Ryan played sixteen games. And they still went four and twelve, and it's not on Matt Ryan. It's not. It, it, some of it is though. Like it's like Matt Ryan defenders have gotten to the point where it's like I can understand that he is the best quarterback in Falcons history. I've enjoyed the Matt Ryan experience. He is in his mid thirties now. He is now not good enough to carry a team 
just drag a team to 500, um, a bad team, mm-hmm. an injury real team. He's just not that guy anymore. Um, this was the best roster in football, people forget, like two years ago. And people trashed Dimitrov oh. and everything else. I'm like, ESPN literally named this roster the best roster in football two years ago. This roster on yeah. paper is a win-now roster. So when you hear Matt Schaub say that, like, no, this team just needs to reload, I'm like, man, this is why this – Falcons job is so difficult and so curious for me of who they hire to come in at GM and head coach because like I'm curious to see what lens they view this roster they view it as like this is too expensive we have too many guys that just are are not going to win we're gonna have to pay Calvin Ridley soon we're gonna have to figure out what's going to happen with Jake Matthews pay him again we have um, Alex Mack maybe retiring we have um, I don't know we just have a lot of different pieces that we're gonna have to figure out here and I don't know. Do they see it as a easy fix or do they see it as like, we need to tear down and trade Julio and ride it out with Matt. Like it will pain me far more to trade Julio Jones than they, if they were to trade Matt Ryan, are you right there with me? Because I, I just Julio Jones, not suiting up on Sunday. So the Falcons is way more depressing for me than, than Matt Ryan at this point. It's not the same because there are the championships attached to it, but I think regionally, locally, Julio Jones not having a Falcon on his helmet, to me, is like Michael Jordan not playing for the Bulls. Mm. You know, it, it's just wrong. But I mean, realistically, I mean I'm not I'm not comparing the accomplishments. I'm just comparing the man in the suit. And I can't envision it. I mean, I guess we can eventually one day because we see Tom Brady playing for the Buccaneers right now. Um and that's even a stronger, a stronger mm-hmm. tie that was broken. Um, but it will be hard and it will be difficult to see that if, and when that day comes, unfortunately I do feel like it's a more realistic outcome. Um, maybe the most realistic outcome, uh, out of Matt Ryan and or Julio Jones getting traded, uh, just because of where Matt is and, uh, where his contract is, uh, that that's a lot, for a potential team to swallow uh, with Matt's contract being, I think, $100 million Well, it's guaranteed. a lot easier to trade next year from everything I've read. Like, yeah. this year, it's basically unmovable. Next year is the year that he would be able to get moved. It would still hurt, but not nearly as much. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going back to Matt Schaub's comments about the the reload. No, this is not a reload. This is... Um, this is territory where, where things need to be moved and faces that you're used to seeing uh, in a Falcons helmet probably won't be there. Uh, and it could be a face like Julio Jones, but that's that's the number one question, right, for the GM coaching candidates coming in. I saw an article from the AJC the other day. They want to know how the Falcons are, are – going to help them out with yeah. this cap situation and it ain't easy it, it, it's going to be like from day one you know yeah how do we win but how do we keep this roster intact or how do we get players in that we can actually afford uh when you when you say names like calvin ridley uh grady jarrett i mean he, he's got to stay um you can't break him you, you can't break the team up to that extent. Um, but how do you keep this thing 
rolling forward and, and how do you as a new name maybe a young head coach that's what that's the the thing here chase every name head coach or gm i mean these are up and coming guys that are already going to be looking to prove themselves so will they be limited will they you know overplay their hand a little bit i mean i, I want i want somebody that has their head on straight that comes in and is able to be creative. I mean, that's what that's what a successful Falcons hire, GM or coach will come down to. How innovative can you be? How creative can you be? You know, whether it's on the field with the offense that they run, uh, because that's going to have to look different too, right? I mean, you can't keep doing. Uh, I think we give Dirk Cutter three more years. We can't. We can't keep doing Kyle Shanahan sequels, can we? I mean, you can. Uh, the NFL is doing that. Actually, being here. <laughs> I mean, we have like thirteen coordinators in the NFL right now running variations of a scheme. So, I, yeah, I guess you maybe can. maybe I'm just maybe I'm just too hopeful here, and it, it's unrealistic. But I want to see something fresh, man. I want I want to see something innovative. That's what wins. That's what gets you uh, into the Super Bowl. That's what. You heard it no. here first. Wes Blankenship wants the Falcons to hire uh, Todd Monken. Or no, Jay, what's the other Monken? I get all the Monkins fit. What's the what's Army? Is that Jeff, Jeff. Monken? Yeah, Jeff Monken. Let's run the triple option with Matt if, Ryan. If the Falcons aren't running the wing T in 2021, I'm out. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> um, last thing, and then you got to go, uh, Wes. Can you describe what's going on in Knoxville and Jeremy Pruitt as Matthew McConaughey? Oh, my gosh. All right, let me. Uh, all right, so you got a. We all have a top. Mm-hmm. Okay. How rocky is your top? <laughs> How high are you climbing to pursue the greatness that is all distilled within our hearts? Do you want to go to bed on Rocky Top, or do you want to stay up all night long cheering for that Vol Navy? As for me, I prefer a different color of orange. <laughs> I got a burnt orange. Okay, in my back pocket, Kimo Sabi. But you, as a volunteer nation, are you going to volunteer? It's on you. It's on your shoulders. Are you going to volunteer for wins, or are you going to volunteer for another year of Jeremy Pruitt? That was great. Hook him. Oh, God. Put me on the spot there, man, but hey, I I appreciate that. That was good. Uh, You got to keep me on my toes, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, you're on the, the last podcast that's independent, uh, Wes. Got to go out with a bang. I hear you, man. Yeah. Well, that uh, this has been great, man. Is there anything you would like to plug before we wrap up here? Yeah. So I co-host a podcast through the University of Georgia's athletic department, um, but it is not what you would think it's uh not a homer type of podcast me and dj shockley have a lot of uh, great guests just this past week we had malcolm mitchell Mm. who is a super bowl champion but also a uh two-time author now children's books yeah former georgia player and uh just doing some really great things for literacy and uh raising awareness for that and he has you know a lot of a lot of these are stories. We had Ryan McGee on, uh, and, and we talked about NASCAR. You know, and it's not just Georgia guys on the show. So a lot, if you go back through some of those episodes, you can find it um, on the Georgia Bulldogs podcast network. It's called Shock and Ship. And uh, if you want to check that out and check out some of the stories that we've had on there, it's uh, it's great fun. 
All right. Well, go do that. Keep up the great work, my friend, and uh, enjoy the the whatever snow you're getting in Atlanta. What 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 is it? I I miss it at this point. Now I'm in Knoxville, so we're actually getting real snow. What the the icy rain, the nasty rain that just makes everybody uh, drive worse than they normally do. Yeah, that quarter inch of ice and sleet <laughs> that will shut down everything. I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, Wes. Like I said, keep up the great work, my friend, and good luck to you in 2021, and we'll we'll touch base again soon. You as well. Take care, Chase. All right, the sports reporters are here. We're assembling. It is a gloomy Friday afternoon in knoxville tennessee it's a gloomy time i think across the country as a whole with this kind of week i don't i don't really know of a better way to to frame it andrew hammond is here as he always is in the northwest andrew good afternoon sir how are you i'm tired as hell but Mm. you know i'm surviving i i feel you man we're we're almost there the week's almost over um up there in new york city bob silverman of the daily beast bob good afternoon sir how are you good how are you man i'm good i just i have my show sheet in front of me but like i just felt with everything going on this week that i would rather just kind of talk it out i think that is um it's sports because if you say it's sports before kind of like in the south if you say something really offensive but you say bless your heart at the end of it it negates whatever offensive thing you said before it um, so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to say sports and talk about what's going on in the country at the moment. Um, Andrew, when you like one of the things that I thought about a lot was just how long Wednesday felt like that day just never ended. And it was just kind of crazy just how long of a day that actually was. Um, where are you at as of right now with everything that happened this week? tired um that's i mean i i hate saying i hate repeating that but i mean it's just it's one of those weeks where you're just you're 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 at a point where you're like you know what i i don't know for some people i don't know what the bottom is um and watching all of that go down and because i was um you know i'll be a little transparent here i was supposed to record a podcast uh, that was supposed to be like the new episode of or the new quote unquote season for my show was supposed to start today. And I was going to record it on Wednesday and I had everything ready to go and I'm watching all this go down. And it might have been an hour after after like the initial barrier breaking, so to speak. And I'm just like, I'm like, you know, what? I I can't. And this is before you know, people are getting ushered off the Senate and House floor. And I'm just like, you know what, I'm this is going to be a long 13 days. And I hope people are kind to themselves and each other because and, and that's the thing. And I, I don't want to like hog all the time, but like 65 to 70 percent of this country actually gives a shit about each other and about everything that's going on and it's this 35 to to you know 30% that is just screwing everything up for the rest of us 
And it's exhausting. It's just so damn exhausting. And I'm just at a point where I'm like, okay, can we just send like the other 30 to 35% that really don't give a damn about any of us? Can we just like send them to an island? Um, I mean, it's it's exhausting and it's it's a struggle, but we're going to be okay. I, I think the last part, we're going to be okay. It feels like the last, the last whimper of all this. Bob, do you agree? Do you feel like this is the last little bit or no? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. I was going to be optimistic. Bob is going to shit on my optimism. Yeah. You know, I just, while well, listening to Andrew, I, I couldn't help but think of a, uh, a something that my mom usually says, uh, which is, it, it would really be a wonderful world if it weren't for simple people. Um, and I think that's correct. <laughs> in some, I was talking to my father before last night. My dad is uh, 92 years old, and therefore has seen some shit. Um, you sound far away right now, Bob, by the way. Emotionally or just physically? Oh, uh, you sound far away on audio. Uh, 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 hold on. Mm-hmm. I'm plugged in. I'm plugged in all the way. Is the audio just bad? I, I don't know. Andrew, does it sound? How does it sound on your end? This is all live. This is great. Did we lose Andrew? Is Andrew here? <laughs> what is no, happening? I'm here. I'm here. Oh, okay. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Right. Yeah. No. That you're back now, Bob. It was like oh. you're. Yeah. Good. Here's, I mean, the basic gist of it is, I mean, the one, here's a note of optimism, sort of. I was talking with my father, you know, he was a, uh, he is a long-time leftist, and to a degree, there's, my politics are absolutely shaped by his, and by other factors as well, but definitely by his. And we were just on the phone being like, well, you know, a small Beer hall putsch is probably not the best way to to get through a Wednesday, but if nothing else, it confirms that we were right the whole time. Every time we railed against the fascist underpinnings of this country or the ways in which that uh, that kindly American neighbors would absolutely turn on one another given the right conditions, and we were laughed off to say being extremists or hyperbolic or something like that. I just want to say I'm not happy about it, but at least I'm right. At least this proves that I was right. This is something that, like, actually an old acting teacher told me way back when. Um, what he said was, I was complaining about some stupid part of the pedagogy and, and, and you know, cussing a blue streak and whining and fetching and the whole thing. And he, he lets me talk myself until I exhaust myself out. And then he says to me, Bob, you know, at very few moments in life, do you get to be happy and right at the same time? You may be right here, but it doesn't seem to be making you very happy. So pick a side. And uh, I think he was right about this. This is, uh, this is Larry Hecht, who was an acting teacher of mine in San Francisco, and he went to Star as the Dead in Scream 1 and 3, for all you Scream fans out there. But, um, uh, yeah, I'm not happy about any of this, but for, for, for fuck's sake, I was right. And everyone, all and all of us other, you know, red diaper babies, we were honking right. Um, I, I, if you if you haven't seen it yet, I, I'd like to direct everyone to the intro, which is floating around on social media from Bill Simmons's podcast. Not to direct your listeners to a different podcast. Yeah, what are you what are you doing? Um, it, yeah. He expresses some certain amount of dismay about the future of America and says he does not feel qualified to discuss it. 
and then it cuts off with it at about the one minute and 20 second mark with, but first, Pearl Jam. <laughs> Wait, is this the episode where it's like a sad day for our country, but... Uh, yeah, that's, that's okay. to, it's today's but episode. The Redraftables. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's talk- the best podcast title of all time. Nothing will ever top that. It was like gonna, a dark gonna- day for America, but also the 2005 <laughs> Redraftables. No, this is a new one this morning. Oh, I didn't know he had a new one. Oh, this no. This is a new pod episode this morning. So I'll, I will, I, uh, it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite delightful. In any case, uh, what are my thoughts? My thoughts are the Knicks are 5 and 3. Very mm. complimentary. That. I always thought, like, it would, you know, the, the only way the Knicks will, will be a contending team is if everything goes completely to shit. And, well, you know, here we are. Have you considered Julius Randle as one of the uh, archangels of the apocalypse? No, but maybe we should have. Mm. I um, I still just I was still perplexed at what was happening because I didn't take it all that seriously when I was just reading that there were some people trying to seize the capital, and I was just like, oh, just a couple, couple weirdos doing some doing some crimes. And uh, I just didn't think uh, anything of it. And then it just, you're scrolling and you're, you're watching the news and you're just suddenly engulfed in this like insane thing that you never thought you would see. And then, like you said, it was just one of those things where it just, it, we shouldn't be surprised that it just finally, finally happened. Right, Andrew? I, I, let me just say one okay. thing. Someone who's, who's doing some reporting on, on online spaces right now, this is all they've been talking about for two months. Like every every single person who does who's on the disinformation beat saw this coming a mile away and tried to warn people. Like the civil war talk has been everywhere. It was important. Now, granted, most people don't venture into those spaces, and I wouldn't recommend that they do. This is not an attempt to critique anyone who felt surprised by how badly things went. But who oh boy, the writing was on the wall. It was scrawled on the wall in like bright red spray paint. They made. They were very public about their intentions about what was going to happen. Yeah, I'm sorry, Andrew. I cut you off. No, that. you're good. You're good. No, I mean it's. How do I put it? I mean, I mean, Bob. One line Bob said, and I don't want to give him too much credit for anything because I'm oh, still Bob. mad about Willem Dafoe stuff. But oh. um, that's what you're um, mad about, Bob. Even he took it to another level this week. Dave, can you I know. Backing from some fancy corporate entities here for the pod. Can, can we get Willem on the podcast as guest? No, 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 no. no. I, I, that um, sounds I awful. Gonna... I can't do it. Uh, Why would but, you not but, want to have Willem Dafoe as a guest in the pod? He seems uh, like a delightful man. I, yeah. I can't. I don't trust you, Bob. I, I don't trust you. Facts. Well, that's fair. Uh, but no, I, I was just gonna say, uh, you hate being right because. We knew this was going to happen. I mean, and this isn't just because one person got elected and one person lost the election. This is a this has been a powder keg that hasn't been fully put out yet, by the way. Um, This is a powder keg that's been building for about 12 years now. I mean, think about this. When Obama was president. And they were doing Affordable Care Act. They were doing all the, all these things. The far right and, and these right-wing nut jobs 
they couldn't brand him as a quote-unquote. So, I mean, they, they tried branding him as a socialist, but, I mean, it was – that's kid stuff for them. That is, you know, it is right-wing, right-wing extremism. It's birtherism. It is all of this stuff that's been building for years. And they hung Obama in effigy outside the White House. And this was, I want to say, it was right before he was running for election again or when he was looking back in 2016. He talked about how one time he saw himself being burned or being hung in effigy outside the White House, but it was in the view of where Sasha and Malia had their little playset. So he could see the playset. They weren't out there at the time, thank God. But you see the place. And then when you look past it towards the gates and the fence, there's people outside protesting against him. And I remember him saying that. And I think yeah, I think this was right before uh, Trump got elected. And I, I remember thinking, it's going to be four years of this. And am I shocked at the timing of it? No. But all of this was inevitable because you're being fueled for years and years and years on this stuff. And the issue is nobody's checking it. Um, these people are getting interviewed. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know if I can say this on the podcast, but you know what? Fuck Jimmy Fallon. Um, <laughs> because, because I mean, it's, and, and, and all of you know, these, they edited the hair plus a lot. Oh yeah. Did they really? I mean, that it is. Yeah. They, oh yeah. Watch, yeah, it's not there. Um, but but the thing is that we all saw this coming. And I remember talking to a friend of mine, and this was 2017, 2018, and I told him, watch when they watch when because it was Trump approved something from the Democrats, and it was like two days of Republicans just furious. I mean, they were pissed. And I told him, I said, watch watch them turn. Watch them turn and, and Donald Trump is going to lose the party. Well, it took a while, but they fully turned. And I mean... These people wanted. These people still want civil war because, for some reason, they think that everything belongs to them when it doesn't. And now we're looking at people who. These people are talking about respecting the flag, you know, all of this crap. But you're going into federal spaces. You're trying to do this invasion or an insurrection or whatever the hell you want to call it. And half these people turned into freaking fourth graders at a goddamn field trip, just <laughs> taking pictures and and taking pictures next to monuments. And I'm sitting here going, okay, hold on, hold on. You spent all these times on podcasts, listening to podcasts, listening to all this right wing, you know, bull crap. And you're reading all these blogs about how we need to take down the establishment dog 
you really sat there talking about a civil war, half these people acting like they're on a damn field trip, there's no way you are going to win that battle. Like, you you want to try and hold people hostage? I mean, you, they were literally going to kidnap Democrat lawmakers. Like, that part still shakes me. They were going to kidnap Democratic lawmakers talking about trial by combat. Like, mm-hmm. what the what in the hell? Like, if you were if you are an American, if you are truly an American, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, you should be absolutely furious right now. And the the frustrating thing about all of this is that they went into the Senate chambers and you had some of these people blaming Antifa. Mind you, mind you, this was not even 24 hours after they, after they were egging them on. How detached from reality must you be that you see essential anarchy at the state, at the nation's capital? And you're just like, oh, no, never mind. it was the other side. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Were you saying that when you were being ushered off the Senate floor and, all, and, and, and dear leader is watching this? Oh, by the way, he also sent them there. So we're inciting a riot. We're doing all this crap. Let that be Black Lives Matter. Let that be quote-unquote, left-wing supporters. Like, I mean, just let it be these people that are supposed to be going into the, you know, let let it be all these people that small-town America is supposed to fear, the elitists, the, uh, what are those people called? Uh, the, the Jews, I think it's one of those. Well, no, I mean, well, then that's the, that's the thing that's so just... Elitist is code for Jews. I just have to say that. Like, elitist is like just a, a weird right. well, water rebooting of anti-Semitism. Right. It's just and here's Jews. the thing: there were people. I, I I saw this today, and I got pissed off again. So I'm sorry if I'm going on this rant. No, but it's good. This, this shit well, that needs to be good, said. This is important. All right. Um. But here's the: there was a couple that took a private jet, a private god damn jet from California to DC to be a part of an insurrection. And mind you, this summer they were talking about, oh, they flew Antifa in. Was it? <laughs> uh, really? And we're taking private jets to insurrections? Like this is the goddamn cotton bowl? <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? I'm sorry that I'm cussing so much, but this is like Six years of frustration with a president and a or once candidate, now president, now going to be former president, that literally let all of this happen because he doesn't give a damn about anybody but himself. And he sent people to the Capitol. People died on his watch and at his hand. And oh, fuck. It's very, it's very bad. 4,000 Americans died today of COVID. I mean, we just, we sort of oh yeah! Oh yeah! By the way, we've hit the four thousand mark twice. Yeah, we've hit the four thousand mark. That's just a thing that happens now. We're very like, desensitized just, to it. We've we've moved yeah. on. It's some. I forget who said it. I'm stealing this line. It wasn't me. It was 
but the line that I, the keeps that I keep coming back to is, um, we we spent months hunkered down in a fallout shelter, and now we've just decided to live in the fall. Mm. Yep. I also think Andrew about this, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot: is how we rebuild and how we move past a lot of this and how you rationalize 73 million people wanting four more years of this. And this is something that I struggle with a lot. Um, Just being in the South and being Southern and having just a lot of family and friends who voted for, for 45 again. And um, it's hard. And I, I'm still not sure what to do about it. I'm still, um, just incredibly concerned because one of the biggest things to me is I just wish I could pull social media and their cable news channels from there. Like that's that would solve a lot of the problems it, it, here. It's, it's a huge I mean, one thing I wanted to mention. I like the taking of selfies. Like all those shots yesterday. Um, these larpers suddenly running around and you know. I mean, Snake. some of that was objectively hilarious. Like, that dude literally smiling for the camera funny. while he's walking out with the lectern. Like, it's, literally smiling for the camera. Like, it's, it's, it's funny in the I'm becoming the Joker kind yes, of way. Yes, yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but, like, someone, uh, Charlie Warzel over at the New York Times wrote, us, wrote, wrote an op-ed about this. Um, and it's that they were literally doing it for the gram at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, no, you cannot, I mean, there are a couple of steps with which this armed, which if there were more support from a couple of institutions, say like more than the cops sort of taking selfies with the protesters, for example, or more than the military, like there is a, there were, there was a, there was a hot minute where this actually could have turned into a full blown actual coup instead of a fake. But the degree to which, and I think what's important to remember, when I say that they're doing it for the gram, I'm not saying that to minimize their actions in the least. What I'm saying is that those are trophies that will be shared in yep. the forums and the online spaces in which people like who believe this congregate, and they will talk about this for a long-ass time. Okay. There's a, there's this a, is a win for them. This is absolutely a win for them. This is a win. And if you don't think that they are plotting the next one right now, you are not paying attention. I am not one to advocate for increased government surveillance or clamp down on all kinds of civil liberties. But for a long time now, the supposed bastions of power, you know, the the the, the, the FBI, the CIA, all of these incredibly well-equipped government institutions meant to protect, safeguard American citizens have been outright ignoring the rise of far-right and explicitly white nationalist extremists. And so they have grown and festered and prospered, and they are continuing to do so. Getting Taking away the megaphones that they have on the internet is one step, and a crucial one, because, you know, a decade ago, all of these cranks would be reduced to like, you know, hand hand churning out mimeographed pamphlets. Now they have millions upon millions of followers on various platforms. Um, deplatforming works. It is not a violation of their First Amendment rights to say, you have a right to speak. You just don't get to have the right 
to amass an audience of one million people who you can speak to with the click of the button and zero moderation or practically zero moderation by all of these platforms, which are incredibly complicit in the rise of the far right because it made them money. And every time I hear some chud complaining about how social media is biased against conservatives, I, uh, it's, la it's as laughable as the dude holding the lectern. They look at the daily leaders on Facebook engagement or any day. It's Dan Bongino and the freaking president or Ben Shapiro. Look at YouTube, which is a cesspool of content rating from like ANCAP libertarian nonsense to straight up white nationalism. They control those mediums without a doubt because those mediums are designed to appeal to baser inflammatory instincts and so baser inflammatory content tends to proliferate. And no amount of moderation by their, their precious, precious algorithms has been able to tamp that down. Um, that's, that's my I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's quite bad. Um, whether or not, like, it's going to take a generation for people to sort of let go, like, <laughs> realize the degree that they were lied to and manipulated by, by, by truly, truly monstrous people for profit. Um, I don't know if we can. I'd like to think. No. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, it comes down is... to you, Andrew. Sorry to cut you off, but like from my yeah, perspective, I just, I think it comes down to what they really were before it. Like that is something I think about a lot. It was like this always there, or have they just yes. been like bamboozled over the last four years and just been fed bullshit for years? Oh, buddy, it's 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 long before the last four. But years. see that I don't know. Like I don't. Yeah, I struggle always, with that because I have family like that, there, and I, I have friends. I don't know. It's like all of these look. All these these sentiments go back to the founding of American history. Every moment of quote unquote progress for people of color, for for non, you know, anyone besides a a wasp religiously, for women, for people who aren't straight, has been met by a giant backlash by the minority. That has happened every at every turn in American history, and it will keep happening. This is just the latest iteration. So, you know, you beat on, votes against the current, and keep striving for something better. But it's always been there. There are a number of conditions that have made it, that have allowed these people to congregate and isolate and be lied to. Um, and there are conditions that have made them want to believe those lies. But the underlying sentiments that, that allowed them to be receptive to this horseshit that's always, and it goes back to the founding of America. Andrew, what do you what do you think? I know well, I, I just cut you off there. Sorry. I know you're good. Um, the the thing that and Bob, and Bob nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. But what they want from the mainstream media is they want their propaganda. They want their bullshit on those networks. They just don't want to be checked. That's the thing. They want all their propaganda, all their bullcrap. They want them on MSNBC. They want them on CNN. They want them on all these major news outlets. The issue is it's false information. It's borderline racist information. And all of this stuff – and it's rooted in evil, and they don't want to get checked on it. That is well, the biggest problem is that they don't want to get checked on it. Uh, or they know that they're going to get checked on it. And so it's, I mean, it is this whiny, 
bull crap that they're saying that, oh, well, nobody cares about us. I'm sorry. You're a white man in America. You're, <laughs> nobody has forgotten about you. Literally, you have an express lane once you get out of the freaking womb. No, like, they talk about how forgotten they are. This is a, this is a, a group of people that they were born a base or two ahead of everybody else. And is it, it's, it's, it's not their fault that other people recognize that and then want to just give the same people an advantage, the same people on this earth an advantage. Yet you guys are like, Oh, well that's not fair. That's not, no, no, you can't have everything you want. And it's crazy that, they're sitting there talking about this is the people's house. It absolutely is. Do you want me to go into your house and just start ransacking shit because of what? Because literally there were more people that voted for the other guy and not yours. Oh, and then and then yeah, your your full on insurrection doesn't happen because Mike Pence as mu- as much as he has sided with Trump he knew in his heart of hearts that there was no way on God's green earth that he could say that these votes would not be counted because, and I'm not trying to be a jerk about this or trying to make jokes about this, he knows exactly what would happen if he said no. And if he says no, it's Katie bar the door, you can't do anything he would literally run out of there and watch all this shit go down. He knew morally he could not do it. And Trump pushed him for four years. He pushed that man for four years, pushed and prodded. And the one moment he thought Pence was going to finally press the red button, and it's basically like the devil and the angel on the shoulder. That's what this basically has been from Mike Pence. I'm not defending Mike Pence. I'm just making the point that Trump pushed this man so far to the edge and Pence finally realized, oh, shit. I think Pence always knew. He just had an opening to finally do it because the power is just gone. And that's something I've noticed is that guys are coming out more because they actually are no longer fearful of him because he's literally moving on. They're like, we have two I don't more think weeks. He, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's fearful. I think Pence was on board. I don't know. But then he realized, I can't, I cannot do this. Like he, he, he realized that morally I cannot do this because I mean, Pence has been complicit for so much. Yeah. Like he, like it's, he's, he is not a sacred cow in this. I am not defending him. All I'm saying is he's been a part of so much. Remember the little things? This... Like he just wouldn't <sighs> eat alone with, with women. Remember when simpler yeah. times? Mother's yeah. food must be hot. Everybody but, knows. But, <laughs> he, but, but he, he ended up going to... looks like Race Bannon. Like right. oh, yeah, he absolutely is Race Bannon, motherfucker. Um, but no, he... he he was so he was pushed to the point and it was the one thing that he could not do because in in his heart of hearts no matter what he does in his life he 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 could not do like he's always going to 
whether it's in his view or whatever, he's always going to do the right thing. Whether he believes in that or not, or whether it's morally right for, for his morals, he's going to do the right thing. Trump pushed him so far and so much because he knew what was coming. I mean, they all knew what was coming. If he doesn't certify it, you literally have a fucking revolution in the Capitol. And there's a story about back in I would agree with the cynical part of it. I agree. I, I kind of think he just thought, I think, I think he was told by the powers that he, that if they want that help, because he absolutely is running the So he was told if you want that, you stop this now. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think he was close to any kind of, kind of people. I think he thought he'd get away with it. Well, we have to, we have to wrap up here, guys. But um, final notes, Andrew. Any final words before we wrap up the last independent Chase Owens podcast, um, Andrew? Any advice or any um, uh, anything you would like to to say to to wrap up here? All, all I'm gonna say is this, and 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 I know we didn't get a chance to actually like touch on this, but can we just talk about the feckless and slimy and I really hate saying it this saying it like this, but the complete wussification of every single person in the Trump administration is resigning instead of actually taking a vote. Like, you have a chance. Like, you are not going to be a hero in this. Let, 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 let's just get that clear right now. You are not going to be a hero. We just want you. The bar is entirely too low for you at this point just do the right thing just vote the man out take a majority but and they're all leaving and everybody's like oh oh that well they no no this is completely designed this is by design so at the end it's literally going to be a fucking standoff where it's just him and the entire united states government and I, for one, I am absolutely furious because it should have never gotten to this point. And I hope every Republican, independent, and every person in government that actually let him get away with this stuff and didn't offer any resistance, I'm sorry. You need to be primaried. You need to be voted out. And you need to leave D.C. right fucking now. Other than that, I'm good. Bob, closing words. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the mix of Bob and Kerry. Mm. Um, 
You know, these are these are strong takes, and probably for me, we put the put the kibosh and take that that powerful. But I think it's worth having that discussion. And if you can't have that discussion, are you really American anymore? Um, the other thing that we're really going to go into is the fact that the president started and he was trying to strong on the Georgia Secretary of State for overturning the election voters. That was fun. That to me was good. I enjoyed hearing the president's two scripted parts and then saying excuse me while after he after he stepped on the piece while trying to commit submission. That to me was as a delightful a delightful moment from earlier this week, which I believe was ten thousand. There you go. All right. For that guy up there in the northeast, Bob Silverman for Andrew up there in the northwest um, of the to come in news tribune for myself down here in knoxville tennessee thank you as always fellas for making the time especially under these kind of circumstances hope for the best um hope we keep moving. yeah get, don't finish that sentence man nah, that nah. axiom has you know how that axiom goes yeah all right well either way you guys try and have a good weekend uh all that good stuff enjoy it have some wine soda that bob loves and uh We'll be back next week. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast, and I am now joined by Martin Frank, Eagles beat writer of the Delaware News Journal. Martin, how's it going? <laughs> it's kind of been a hectic uh, week considering that. Well, hold on. What's going on in Philly? What could you possibly be talking about, Martin? What is possibly oh, going know. on in Philadelphia that's got your attention and got fans' attention? Well, there's all this talk about their final game. Um, they're also looking for a new defensive coordinator, possibly a new mm. offensive coordinator, and they have to figure out what they want to do with quarterback. And, yeah. <laughs> It's kind of been interesting. Small potatoes. Exactly. Um, For a 4-11-1 team, it seems to be a lot of drama. What do you think ultimately happens with Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz? What is your your gut telling you on that? Um, My gut is telling me that they're both back, um, and the Eagles are going to try to make it work with Wentz as the quarterback. Yeah. I think the whole thing about benching Carson, you know, beginning in the second half against the Packers on December 6th was kind of about him just kind of stepping back, you know, trying to see what he was doing wrong and, you know, possibly, you know, not getting them hurt anymore because their offensive line was a total mess this year because, you know, Jason Kelsey, the center, was – the only projected starter who played in every game this season. I mean, you know, Wentz was on pace to be sacked close to 70 times this season. As as it is, he led the NFL with being sacked 50 times, and he only played in 12 games. Um, you know, so 
the goal for them is is to see if he can come back and and find the form that he had when he was on his way to winning the MVP in 2017. And, you know, even the last four games of the 2019 season where, you know, he pretty much had to carry the team on his back to win each game and make the playoffs. Um, You know, the Eagles are convinced that, you know, that quarterback is still there. They just have to figure out a way to find it. Of course, they're also stuck because of his contract, you know, which makes it virtually impossible for for them to release them and makes it really difficult for them to trade them. So, you know, it's in their best interest, obviously, to make sure to try to make it work with Wentz. And, you know, we'll see what happens, I guess. I mean, you know, April is a long ways away and, you know, there's always trades, trades are possible depending on how desperate a team is and, and, you know, to get someone like Wentz and how much they're willing to offer in return. You know, there are just so many different variables, but, the easiest and the one that's most palatable for the Eagles is to have Wentz back. But does Wentz want that? Does, would he sign up for Doug? If he comes back, would Peterson be a part of the package or would he be like, the only way I'm coming back is if Doug Peterson is not my head coach anymore? Uh, I, don't, I don't think that is really the either or for Wentz. Um, okay. yeah, I think, to be honest with you, I think Wentz, uh, Peterson would probably be the best coach for Wentz because, you know, they have that relationship. Um, I just think that, you know, there's been talk, obviously, um, Chris Mortensen had said that, you know, the relationship between Wentz is P- and Peterson is fractured beyond repair and everything. Um, I just, you know, I think there are issues that have to be resolved. Um during these next few months, I mean, one of them is, you know, Wentz has to figure, like, Wentz has to figure out, you know, what can change in the offense to make it better for him. Um, Peterson has to figure out what, um, Peterson has to figure out, like, how can he kind of make the offense better for Wentz? Um, and, and that could include having, you know, changing, you know, his coaching staff, you know, with an offensive coordinator, with, maybe a different quarterbacks coach. Um, I don't think Wentz would want to come back if he feels like he would have to compete with Jalen Hurts for the starting job. Um, I kind of get the sense that, you know, he's not really up for a competition. You know, he's not up for not knowing that he would be the starter, I guess is how I should say it. Uh, it, It just seems like, you know, for Wentz to be all in, he has to be, told or he has to be at least shown that the Eagles are committed to him being the starting quarterback in 2021. Do you think that's ultimately what happens? Um, it depends. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could. Cause then you just piss off Jalen hurts. Yeah, again. And he's already does. really thrilled by the way. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Jalen, Jalen hurts really loving how the season ended for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's, yeah, I don't think any anybody knows, you know, the answer if that's, you know, right now sitting here on January, you know, January 8th, um, exactly what's going to happen. I mean, I think there are still cards that the Eagles need to play. And, and, you know, it's not like Wentz has a whole lot of leverage. I mean, sure, he can want to be traded and sure, he can say, you know, this and that and get me out of here. But, I mean, you know, if the Eagles were to trade him, 
you know, they would still have like a $34 million dead money cap hit. So why would the Eagles want to trade him for, you know, to see him flourish with another team and, and they still have to, you know, this $34 million, you know, dead cap charge, dead money charge. Um, you know, they could obviously, you know, say, all right, well, we're not going to trade you. You can just sit out and after next season, you know, we can move you or try to do something. So, um, you know, Wentz doesn't have a ton of leverage in this situation. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, if the Eagles are really committed to Wentz as a quarterback going forward, then they're going to find a way to do it. What is, uh, what is your, what, who do your readers want to see happen? Like what, what does it seem like the sentiment is from Eagles fans? What do they ultimate, what is there a consensus on what they prefer? I think a lot of them are fed up with Wentz. Um, I think mm. number one, you know, he had an awful season. Um, number two, you know, they're not pleased with him about these reports that he wants out. Um, but there are quite a few sympathizers who feel, you know, that Wentz was put in a really bad situation. I mean, you know, the offensive line, like I mentioned earlier, has been awful. Um, you know, you were down to your third left tackle. You know, you were playing a guy in the finale at right tackle who was like, you know, hadn't started a game since he was at Army in 2017. Um, you know, it was just a really bad situation for any quarterback. And, you know, Wentz bore the brunt of that, obviously, through the first 12 games. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are kind of sympathetic and say, well, you know, if you had a decent offensive line, if you had decent wide receivers to work with, you know, you got to remember also that coming into the season, the Eagles were going to have uh, three veteran wide receivers in Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, who was kind of, they thought might miss the first two or three games while he recovered from his uh, foot surgery, and, and Marquise Goodwin, who they traded for from the 49ers. Well, as it turned out, you know, Goodwin opted out of the season. Jeffrey took like eight or nine games before he was ready to return. And Deshaun got hurt, you know, early in the season and then again midway through the season. So basically they had rookies at wide receiver and a guy, Travis Fulgham, who they promoted from the practice squad. So not only did he not have an offensive line to protect him, he had no receivers to throw to mostly. So, yeah, it was – I think a lot of people are kind of fed up with Wentz, but I think there are also a lot of – who sympathize with what he had to deal with. All right. Last question. We'll wrap up here. Um, Mm -hmm. Jim Schwartz, if they keep Wentz, let's just operate under the assumption that Wentz and Peterson are both back, Howie Roseman still GM. Who do they target to replace him? Scangarello's gone. Morningweg's gone. Everyone's gone. But – these guys are there. Who do who do they target to replace Jim Schwartz? As defensive coordinator? Yes. Um, I think there are a lot of people. Um, I think Jim Castillo, I think, is number one, right? What's that? Jim Castillo, number one? <laughs> um, actually, I think they're going to go after somebody who's got... Um, Juan Castillo, excuse me. I thought it was Jim. Yeah, Jim yeah. Washburn and why? Oh, yeah, yeah, I get those back there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Juan Castillo. Yeah, that's who I thought you. I, that's who I thought you were. There's Jim Washburn and Juan Castillo, and I just like combined their names. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I don't think they're going to do that. But um, they're going to go after like their defensive coordinator Schwartz 
for example, had full autonomy because Peterson's an offensive-minded coach. And, you know, assuming that Peterson's back, which every indication is that he is, um, he's going to want a similar type of defensive coordinator that he can rely on. So, um, you know, there, there are a bunch of ex-head coaches who have a strong defensive background. I mean, you look at Matt Patricia, who got fired by the Lions, um, he was Bill Belichick's defensive coordinator for six or seven years. And, you know, they were at least getting to the AFC championship game, if not winning the Super Bowl. Um, there's also um, two guys. You have on Dan the Quinn. Dan Quinn, that's another one. That's who I was. I was like on the tip of my tongue, and I, I couldn't remember it right off the top of my head. But, yeah, he would be first one of the first candidates, um, you know, his, his, they could go with Gus Bradley, you know, if they want to lure him away from somewhere. Um, you know, I think they're going to go for someone kind of in the Schwartz mold being like an experienced guy who could run the defense and get, you know, would get full autonomy and stuff like that. I don't think they're going to go with a young, you know, former assistant, like position coach, whether it's college or the NFL, I think they're going to go with someone who's who's really experienced, and there are quite a few guys like that out there, obviously. All right. Well, Martin, what can we check out from you this week at Delaware Online? Oh, a lot of stuff. Um, the whole Wentz, Jalen Hurts saga. Um, there was something today about like seven plays that pretty much doomed their season. Um, you know, it's. It, it was kind of a whole mess. It was, you know, a column on the whole, you know, what the difference is between getting the number six pick by losing to Washington or getting the number nine pick uh, by winning. Um, Julio Jones obviously was one of the number six picks, you know, who became a superstar and everything. So, I mean, it, it did make a difference. So, yeah, a lot of stuff like that, basically. All right. Well, go do that. Keep up the great work, sir. And, uh, Try and calm things down in Philly. They need to they need to calm it down. Yeah. Too much drama. I, I don't think that will ever happen here. <laughs> oh, I don't know. But, Who knows? The Philly fans they seem they seem they seem chill. They seem rational. Yeah, It'll be like, okay. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, that's like one of the things about the Eagles. Even when they're awful, they're still like on the tip of everybody's tongue. And go birds, right? Go birds exactly. all the time. You love it. I, all right, well, I appreciate the time, Martin, and uh, we'll have to check back again soon when it's on fire once more in Philadelphia. All right, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.